thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hey, Mums the Word listeners, it's Kaz Jaff here, and I am very excited to introduce today's guest. Also slightly nervous, and if you knew how many takes it took me to do this, you would understand because this guest has so many attributes that I might actually forget something. So in advance, Damien, if I forget anything, please forgive me. Dr. Damien Christoph, firstly, is a very dear friend and has been a colleague. We've worked alongside each other for the past year. He is also a naturopath, a nutritionist, and a chiropractor. And he co-hosts The Wellness Guys, a very popular podcast uh, show, and also co-hosts 100 Not Out. So he has two podcasts uh, under his name and also a podcast network. He has been a TV host of the show Downsize Me. He's regularly appearing on Melbourne's Triple M. And he also has a cereal brand, Forage. And I probably have forgotten many other things. Um, He's also, as he would say, most importantly, a dad. And um, well, he's been in the health industry now for more than 20 years in many different capacities, as you can imagine. I did mention in there that he's a naturopath, a nutritionist, and a chiropractor, and he enjoys helping thousands of people regain health and vitality through natural approaches. He's continually excited and delighted by the life changes that people experience when they start to trust in their own ability to heal without excessive intervention. Today's episode, we are talking all about uh, prenatal and preconception nutrition all the way up to birth and even postnatally. Um, as I mentioned, we're very dear friends, so it was pretty easy to share and be comfortable with each other. And this is my second episode where I was actually live with a guest. And um, well, it's pretty fun. And I guess we're both parents, so we shared a little bit of parenting philosophy and experience as well. You're going to love this episode and I'd love your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hey, Damien, welcome to Mum's the Word. Please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, Kaz. It's great to be here with you and, uh, and live pretty much together. Touchy. In the sunshine. I can actually touch you. I know, right? Rather than have to listen to you. Not so I mean, virtual. I do. I'll still listen to you. But Thank I you. actually get to touch you. Thanks. It's good. Kaz, who are uh, you? I'm a dad. That's it. I'm a dad who uh, absolutely loves and adores his uh, little boy. He's now 16 years old. Um, and I'll... I'm just about to turn 43, so I had him, if you do the maths, I had him pretty young. Um, I was 26 when I had him, and, uh, and and it's amazing. So, beautiful wife, Amber, I'm a naturopath, chiropractor, um, I studied accounting first, you know, believe it or not, so I did accounting, then naturopathy, then wanted to study to be a chiropractor because I saw such incredible benefits from people seeing chiropractors, and that's where you and I met. I was going to say, so yeah. So many years ago. 16, you know, so like I 16 think. 16 years ago. Pretty much just after Jackson was born, and um, and it's been an amazing time. Like not not you know upon reflection, it's probably been an amazing time. At times when you're in it, you're kind of going, oh my gosh, like is this what life's meant to be? Is it this tough? Is it this difficult? Um, and then you're writing it, you go, oh my gosh, this is what life's all about. It's so amazing, all these things are happening. But you know, when you look back and you reflect, you kind of go, oh, that's nice and balanced. <laughs> I live a pretty balanced life. Um, and I was, you know, so I'm in private practice. I've got a muesli range, a breakfast muesli range, because I'm absolutely passionate about and bringing health to the table. And, uh, and and so I love educating people about what's good to put into their body, not what is the best diet and what's the most amazing superfood, but you know, what is it best to consume in order to um, to, to live a wonderful life. 
and he's underselling himself. He has uh, two podcasts, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> so I do do some podcasting. I've got a podcast called The Wellness Guys. Um, I've got another podcast called One Hundred Not Out. Of course, um, the platform that we are both on is the Wellness Couch, and I founded that with our great friend Lawrence Tam and Brett Hill and Marcus Pierce. You know, nearly years or three and a bit years ago. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've um, worked together for the past year, and that's been super fun as well. Yeah, so yeah, there's it? there's a lot of connection here. But the really why I've asked you on is to share about um, prenatal nutrition, and you know I know I know you know so much about it, and it's just a shame to not let the guests um, of Mum's the Word know, like just suck it up from your brain cells and and you share. So tell us a little bit about what you've been looking into lately. Oh, well, you know, recently I was asked by the Chiropractors Association of Australia to uh, do a presentation on preconception nutrition, conception of, uh, nutrition during pregnancy, and neonatal nutrition. That's a massive topic, right? I was given 40 minutes to deliver a presentation. Totally. So I kind of trimmed it all back to kind of look at, you know, what are the most important things for the expecting or wanting to be expecting mother and father to be doing? I just want to, like... Let everyone know that we're in cans at the moment. I can hear the splashes in the pool as well. (laughs) We've got people walking through a little bar area. We're near the beach and the pool and so it's beautiful. But uh, there might be a bit of background noise. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so as I was collecting all the research and all the data for this particular presentation, um, it became apparent that a lot of the research information, a lot of the information that's being disseminated and shared with nutritionists and dietitians and um, pediatricians and GPs and midwives and maternal health care nurses was very skewed, like really skewed. And in Australia where, uh, and you know, potentially I'm not sure where your listener base is around the world, but I'm sure it's global by now. Um, but in much of the United Kingdom, in the United States, in Canada and Australia and New Zealand, the nutrition information is funded by organisations with a vested interest. And you can see that because, you know, where the information's been printed and published, um, there's advertisements from the companies that actually pretty much pay for the information and research to come out. So, so you're was, talking like formula? Oh, not just baby. formula. No, no, I'm talking like um, Nutrition and um, Sanitarium and Kellogg's and um, the, the FIG, the food industry group. So there's KFC, McDonald's and... Hungry Jacks and all these guys, they, they fund a lot of the information we get. Frucor, Nestle, uh, all those guys have got big, big, deep pockets. And so I'm reading through all this research and I get to the very end of the research and I'd find information about the contributors or, the, you know, um, the research design or where the research was actually done. And then I'd do some research into the school of nutrition that this actually came from um, and who they were linked to and who registered or accredited their course and inadvertently it always came back to an industry-sponsored position. Much the same as our drug-based research in Australia or around the world. You know, if you read that a drug is good for you, better read again. You know, if you read a drug has an effect on the body and they don't say much about the side effects, then you've got to read it again and, and search deeper because the same thing was happening with this nutrition research. So basically what this research was saying is that there's nothing really that influences birth weight or gestational weight gain outcomes during pregnancy. So you don't have to worry about what food you eat during pregnancy. Um, they also said that 
there's no increased risk of gestational diabetes um, regardless of whatever food you eat during pregnancy. <laughs> My facial expressions aren't coming through the <laughs> microphone. Further research says that there's no uh, risk the neonate um, with the diet that he or she consumes or the parents consume like pre-birth and post, uh, during birth and post-birth. The only paper that I could find that kind of gave any indication that diet was of any relative importance was that there was a, a, a paper that spoke about breastfeeding and the importance of breastfeeding. And, uh, and, then, and then the food that was given to the baby from six months to 18 months. And so the weight of the baby based on the diet of the baby or the infant six through to 18 months was the most significant and accurate predictor of obesity from childhood into adulthood. So what you do with your child from six months through to 18 months is the most significant predictor of adult-based obesity. Full stop. Wow. Full stop. That was one conclusion and that came from an unfunded study done, I think it was in Norway. So you kind of, I look at European research and go, yeah, it's probably right. It's probably true. I look at American, Australian, Canadian, New Zealand, British research and go, no, you guys, are, you've been bought. You know, I don't trust you. But I go over to Europe and I go, yeah. you guys, credibility. Yeah, Finland, the research coming out of, you know, Sweden. These areas, um, the, fun, the, the research that's coming out of there is legitimate because they want their population to survive and thrive. Um, whereas the populations in Australia uh, and in America, we've, we've, we've kind of, it's, it sounds a bit conspiracy theorist, but we're not told the truth. And, uh, and so it's been really fascinating. So I had to go back and look at you know, the influences on conception, the influences on, um, on a successful pregnancy, um, making it all the way you know, through uh, like full-term pregnancy because a lot of people um, fail to reach full-term um, in their pregnancy. They might go to 36 weeks or 37 weeks, come out early. Very rarely do people go beyond and, uh, you know, based on this research that I was reading and, uh, and there were some predictors for that. And essentially the predictors for a, a full-term pregnancy came down to the nutrition of the mother for the two years prior to conception. Two years. So now we keep on hearing about folic acid, take folic acid, you know, for 90 days and that's going to be good. It's, um, it's everything else and it comes down largely to not only the total calorie load but the amount of protein that the mum's consuming in the preconception phase. A mum who is deficient in protein will have an overweight child. This is really important for vegans, vegetarians to understand. Because if they're undernourished in protein and they're overnourished in carbohydrate, there's a significant increase in the, the risk of the child being born um, at above weight and potentially um, not going full-term, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Now, the other big risk, and this is really strange because I'm kind of going, well, where's the, how does this all work, is that the, the mother who consumes an excess carbohydrate um, has... Two, two things that happen. One, she has the potential to positively influence the nutritional status of the baby through good quality vitamins and minerals coming into the body because most of them are water-soluble, the ones that you know, are really essential, like B vitamins and, and vitamin C and, and all the, the vitamins other than A, D, E, and K. And, um, and they were really important, but that was dependent on the quality of the carbohydrates. 
So if you had lots of vegetables and fruits and legumes, your nutritional status throughout pregnancy was high and that was really good for the baby, really good for the baby. But if your carbohydrate intake was really, really poor, but also really high, so I'm talking chips and donuts and pasta, um, let's just call this an undernourished rice meal, in other words, doesn't contain protein or vegetables and fruits, then there's a high risk of your child being born underweight at birth. In other words, low birth weight and then falling into the lower categories. Um, and, and, you know, the risks that are associated with that are, you know, a, 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 I suppose a mix. Because you know, some people will say that if you've got a, got a, a baby that's underweight, then there's higher risk of infection and higher risk um, of, you know, gastrointestinal dysfunction and immune, you know, dysregulation, all that sort of stuff, as opposed to a, a fatter, flabbier, chubbier baby that's potentially got, you know, greater potential to, to thrive when there's a risk. But these risk factors all came up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is all so confusing for people. And people listening to this right now are probably going, gosh, like what a minefield. How do I navigate all of this? And so I didn't think I would break it all down. This is one of the, the most challenging 40-minute presentations that I ever gave because obviously I'm presenting to peers and, uh, and they're wanting the duck's guts. Like they're wanting to know, what is it that I tell my patients? And so, and so this is what I came up with in terms of after reading... 80 or 90 different papers to try and work out what is it actually that's going out there. I worked out the information that's going out to all of your healthcare providers out is, is poor quality. Poor quality research, poor quality study design, funded um, by industry. And really, this is what you need to know. And so... Here it is. We should get into it, right? So in the preconception phase, which is the two years prior to conception, uh, there's a few things that you can do. Nutritional status is really important. The younger you are the greater the nutritional load is in your body at its set point. As you get older and as you know, you go beyond 30 years old, your nutritional status declines significantly. Even though your body doesn't necessarily show it, it's declining and it catches up with you. You know, the, that period from 20 to 30 doesn't really feel like much, but from 30 to 40, there's a massive shift. I don't know if you've noticed, Kaz, but our bodies have changed a little bit, you know, 30 and it happens relatively quickly and relatively insidiously you don't really notice that it's actually happening but the nutritional status is affected there um and so the peak time for you know nutritional fertility is in your 20s and it declines when you get into your 30s so it's very important so you could supplement you know you could take things like zinc you could take things like um, vitamin c um you must take folic acid now the the issue that rises with folic acid is this whole MTHFR gene um, ism, polymorphism thing that you know a lot of people are talking about these days. So the MTHFR gene is a, is a gene that's responsible for clearing and methylating things from the body, uh, which potentially pose risks for, um, you know, for, for the health of the baby, the health of the mother, and, and so on and so forth. There's nothing we can do about our genes. We, we're going to have genes, um, and the way in which we determine the way in which they behave is important. And what we've learned is that folic acid... Um, may not be good for everybody, but folinic acid is good for everybody. So folinic acid is an activated form of folic acid that's very well metabolized in the body, has no real negative effect on the body, and everyone can tolerate it. And so to that end, I'm now recommending that people actually have folinic acid as opposed to folic acid. It's deeper down in the chain, isn't it? Yeah, deeper down in the chain. Yeah. And, um, and so... Th- 
the other thing is that the nutritional requirement is that we have about 400 micrograms a day. But the research says that women who take 400 micrograms a day of folic acid fail to reach a nutritionally suitable level of folic acid in the bloodstream or folate in the blood um, to adequately prevent neural tube defects, which is spina bifida, right, essentially. And so the suggestion in the research is to double that to or to 800 micrograms. My recommendation is to get to 1,000 micrograms um, each day for at least the three months leading up to the pregnancy, at least. Now, if you discover that you're pregnant and you're three weeks in or you're five weeks in or you're two months in, don't worry about taking folic acid. There's no need. It's, it's not going to be of any real benefit. You're not going to enhance your detoxification status you know, while you're pregnant. Um, there's a whole host of different functions that happen within the body that shut down massive amounts of detoxification. Your baby's very, very protected um, when when it's growing and in the placenta uh, and in uterus, but you're not uh, you're not exposing your baby to any more danger um, after the first 21 days if you you know haven't got enough folic acid. The first 21 days of conception is the only time really that your baby requires folate and folic folinic acid or, or or um, yeah, so we're really more talking know, about like a conscious conception. Where, it's a conscious conception. Yeah, yeah. the accidental yeah. conceptions of which I am an accidental conception. <laughs> Jackson's an accidental conception. The albeit you know fantastic and a great result. Uh, you know, where these conceptions aren't planned. There's under not much, thirty years old though. Yeah, under thirty <laughs> years old. That's right. You kind of can't. You can't worry about it. Like you just gotta, yeah. you just can't worry about it. Like you just hope that Move the body is able yeah. to do what it's able to do. And uh, innate intelligence is incredibly powerful. You know, yeah. the, your body doesn't need to, re- you don't need to read a book to learn how to make a baby. You, your body actually knows how to do it. And two cells come together and can create this unbelievable being. Um, but really, the dietary things that you can do beforehand are most important. So yeah. I'm talking about enough protein. And I'm, I'm saying here that if you're vegan or vegetarian, that's fine. But you now need to be thinking about your baby. Yeah, I was I was vegetarian for more than a decade going into to becoming a mum, and then when my acupuncturist and herbalist said to me, "Are you joking? You're not going to be able to incubate a baby. There's no warmth in your body. You need to eat meat." I looked at it like a medicinal process. I, my body needs it. I want a healthy baby. I want a conception. I'll do it. Food is medicine, right? You've got to keep remembering that. A lot of people go, "Well, you know, I've got to stick to my values and stick to." you know, peace, love, and mung beans, all these sorts of things. And I respect that, and I think that's a really nice way to live. But when you're about to bring a baby into the planet, um, you want to give your baby the best opportunity to have an incredible life, right? And so if you don't provide the right nutrition for it, there'll be some things that don't work in the baby. And you won't know what they are until later, but you won't necessarily be able to link it to what you did beforehand or what you didn't do beforehand. But what we do know is you need enough protein. Now, moving into the conception phase, you're also going to need a lot of um, essential fatty acids. So the essential fatty acids that you really need are uh, omega-6, omega-3, and omega-9. And we need them in uh, you know, some kind of a ratio. I'm not going to get too much into that ratio because people can get a little bit concerned about it and need to go and test you know, their ratios. But essentially, you should be consuming more fruits, vegetables, and uh, foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids than foods that are rich in omega-6 fatty acids. This is really important. So like fatty fish? Fatty, oily fish, yeah. yeah. Um, walnuts and macadamia nuts, kangaroo meat, uh, you know, um, 
organic grass-fed and, and lamb. Uh, th these are, are really important um, omega-3 fatty acid sources. The grainy uh, sources of omega, omega fatty acids are things like, um, you know, quinoa and amaranth and spelt and millet and wheat and rice. They they all got omega six fatty acids in them. And and whilst they're important, having too much of those can affect the way in which the brain develops. Definitely affects adults psychologically. There's a lot more craving patterns that we see. And we also see uh, people who consume too much omega six fatty acid go into um, somewhat of an inflammatory, pro-inflammatory state. Um, and many of them become obese or overweight or have type 2 diabetes and heart disease. So omega-6 fatty acids in their raw state are great, but omega-6 fatty acids in their cooked state are probably more challenging. So you need to kind of keep them down. Your omega-9 fatty acids, they're going to come in things like um, flaxseed and, uh, and oh, what are, you know, other... What is chia? Yeah, chia seed. That's right. So you're going to get it in there. Now, a lot of people talk about the omega-3 benefits of these seeds, but we, we don't get a lot of usable omega-3 fatty acid from plant-based sources. very difficult for us to convert plant-based sources of omega-3 fatty acids to the active of EPA and DHA in the body. Very difficult. About 1% to 2% of all that's absorbed from plant-based omega-3 fatty acids is converted to the active form in our body. And so we still remain relatively deficient. Um, and so we need to take... It's a lot of chia pudding. It's so much chia pudding. <laughs> if it's only 1% to 2%, you're living on chia pudding. That's it. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to think about, you know, do I need to take a fish oil supplement? In which case, if you're going to do that, you want to spend money on a fish oil you know, supplement. You don't want to be taking the crappy fish oil, no, which is 1995. you want it to be all the... You want all the, the impurities heavy, yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah, ultra-filtered, standardized, because you're now taking something that doesn't... That's no longer in the fish. You're now taking something that behaves in the body like a drug, right? So it's got to have an effect on the body. And it's going to have an effect on your baby. So you want to have the cleanest, most pure fish oil that you can get. Um, and to that end, I, I usually recommend one of two brands, um, Nordic Nutritionals, which I really, really love. I think it's a great company. And Metagenics or Health World, um, that's a great company. That's Ethical Nutrients. And um, Nordic Net. Yeah, Nordic Naturals. Yeah. That's what I said Nutritional. First. Same, yeah. Okay, that's yeah, the I one I... Nordic Nutritionals, I think, Nordic is the name of the Nordic Naturals has yeah. got a great kids, kids so range as well. So good. And the kids ones that the kids can take taste nice too. Yeah. You can get them to you know yeah. take it every day. So you've got your omega-6, you've got your protein, your omega-3, you've got your protein, you've got um, carbohydrates, which your primary form of carbohydrates should be fruits and vegetables and salads. And, uh, and a little bit of gluten-free um, uh, grain is great. Um, I don't mind if people don't have if people don't have the celiac genes or they don't have any thyroid dysfunction or they don't have any autoimmune disease in the family. I don't mind if people have a little bit of gluten. But if there's autoimmune disease in the family of any kind, whether it be Hashimoto's, Graves' disease, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, um, you know, any of those sorts of things, I, I recommend that people just avoid gluten, particularly in a vulnerable, you know. Phase and if of you are life. going to have it, let's at least have it organic that we know it hasn't been sprayed with glyphosate. Yeah, yeah, glyphosate's an issue. And so, you know, that's kind of your preconception phase. That's really important. Your oily foods are really important too. That's important. Now, a lot of people will break out and have acne um, during their pregnancy, and that's very, very stressful for some mums. And, um, and that's a hormonal thing, and there's not much you can do about it during pregnancy. Your body's now protecting your baby, and, uh, and things are shutting down. And generally, you know, that's something that you'll need to work on after the pregnancy, not during the pregnancy. Don't try and clear your acne up during pregnancy. It's not worth it for the baby. It's not worth it for you to stress about it. You're going to have to just kind of ride through that one. It's a bit of a toughie. Um, there are some creams available that you can use. There's a great brand that I know of that's a French brand, La Roche-Posay. And uh, they've got a cream that you can use as non-toxic and, and very good. You know, that works really, really well. But 
nutritionally, it's not worth trying to clear up acne and, and doing those sorts of things when you're having a baby. In fact, it's not worth trying to lose weight when you're having yeah, a baby. Yeah, it's not worth trying to do a detox. It's not worth it's trying not to do time. a detox. No. It's not worth trying to – the only thing you want to focus on when you're growing a baby is growing a baby. And it's not worth starting your running regime if you've never done it before. No, exactly right. Exactly. So you're going to progress for 40 weeks through a pregnancy-ish, you know, yeah. <laughs> in, that sort of, in that sort of range. And throughout that time, there's a whole host of different nutritional needs. And the bulk of your nutritional needs are going to be in the last trimester. And most women um, throughout their pregnancies will, will alter their nutritional intake in their last trimester unknowingly. They don't really mean to do it. But this is where the calorie load really amps up. The requirement should be, should be met. And most women fail to meet their requirement of nutrition at this time. So they'll get through to the end of their pregnancy and uh, they're somewhat undernourished. And this is a really important thing to remember because when you, and, and I know, Case, you've spoken about struggles with breastfeeding, difficulty with, you know, milk flow, uh, there's issues with, um, with fatigue and What's ability to... hair loss? Hair loss. I think that's normal. Hair, skin and nails, like the, the quality of all that changing. All of those things are indicators of poor nutritional status. Kind of want to, you know, what you're going to be feeling now is the work that you did months beforehand. It's not what you're doing right now. So people will often change their diet now, expecting to get a change tomorrow. But the changes that you're going to see is 30 days, 60 days, 90 days down the track. So the last trimester is really, really important, really important. And so along with your chiropractic care, which is really important the whole way through your pregnancy, most people's chiropractic care is going to change in the last trimester because it's important. There's a whole lot of things that are going to be occurring, right? Same as nutritional status. It's very, very important here to be managing and watching the type of carbohydrates are going in. It's also really important to be looking at the type of bacteria going into your body because the type of bacteria that goes into your body and strain-specific bacteria that go into your body can influence your baby's risk of eczema, asthma, allergies, dermatitis, um, uh, hay fever. Or, you know, All of these sorts of things can be influenced uh, by the type of microbiome that the mother imparts to the baby through the vaginal birthing process. Now, I mentioned that because there's definitely um, a benefit in having a vaginal delivery. And, so, and there'll be some women on this podcast listening to this who, for, for many reasons, weren't able to have a vaginal delivery. And, and whilst it's unfortunate for um, the mother and the baby, it's, there's also ways around it. And you, so you, can get, you can get on top of it, which is a really important thing to know. So goal would be to have a vaginal birth. Sometimes it doesn't happen. So there are some um, birthing um, places that will do a vaginal swab. Yeah, we've talked about seeding on the show. Some will do it and many won't. So you kind of go, all right, so how now do I get my baby to have an adequate microbiome? And that's going to come down to the postnatal. And uh, and this is really important. So obviously breast is best. Um, there's nothing can compare to breast. doesn't matter how much science the researchers will do. doesn't matter how much money Nestle throws at the next product. It doesn't matter about any of that. Formula is not going to come close to the quality of the breast milk. The key thing with breast milk is the adequate flow and the the requirement for the baby is, is that they get a lot of breast milk, not just a little bit um, and, and fall asleep. They've got to be able to feed properly. However, the quality of the breast milk can be influenced by the mother, and this is really important. So again, protein status is paramount. So if the mother is low in protein, breast milk flow and quality will be poorer. It's really important to understand. So protein is very, very important. B vitamin status is really important at this, at this stage. 
Um, and then the probiotic status is really important. So LGG is a strain of bacteria that's been shown to decrease the risk of eczema, allergies, hay fever, um, dermatitis, asthma um, in babies, uh, whether they're breastfed or not breastfed. And so if your baby can't be breastfed and didn't go through a vaginal delivery, there's a significant setback there. And we have to acknowledge it, but don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say this in a way that you don't feel like you've done the wrong thing or because you haven't. It's just the cards you've been dealt, but now you've going to have to do some things to assist your baby to maintain incredible wellness. And so introducing different probiotic strains into the baby's um, body is very, very important. So if your baby hasn't been able to be breastfed, there's a breast milk, a breast milk strain of bacteria that you can now supplement with. Um, so the mum should supplement with this and the baby, or not really, the mum who's breastfeeding would supplement with this and the baby would have this um, breast milk strain bacteria added to the bottle or the formula. And the brand of that is called Chiara. Are you seen yeah, no, that? we see that there's two different boxes. Yeah. Two different boxes. And that's really important because that actually is the seeding of the microbiome for the baby to be able to lay down and allow other bacteria to grow. So there's so many different infant strains out there and there's so many companies out there that will say, use our one because it's got infant strain bacteria, but you, there's only one company that's got a strain of bacteria that's cultured from human breast milk, and that is this one from Chiara. And so I recommend that, uh, that mums... Uh, give this to their babies in their formula bottle. Um, I mean, you can literally, you know, lick your finger and put it in their mouth. You totally. Can put it on the nipple. It's so easy to get it into a baby. 100%. 100%. And the other thing is, you know, in a baby that hasn't had, you know, unbelievable exposure to the mother's microbiome, it's important to probably be less clean. Like, don't use antiseptics and, and kill off all the bacteria that are in around the house. Try and expose your baby to all of the bacteria that you've got in around the house because that's what you built your immune system from and that's how your baby now needs to build her immune system from, you know. Like your baby is going to build immunity from the bacteria it's exposed to, not necessarily the things that are put into its body um, and not necessarily the things that are actually kept away from it. So a lot of people try and wrap their baby up and keep them away from people, but if your baby hasn't been exposed to many bugs, you want your baby exposed to and bugs. And they will be at some point, so you may as well start. Do it now. Yeah, build Do it in. now. It's funny. When I, when I had my first, you have a lady that comes to your house and that, t- that helps you with things in Holland, and, and she said, oh, we've changed the rules. There's no sterilizing bottles anymore. Yeah. You just put them in the dishwasher. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You saved my life. Now, oh, I breastfed amazing. both. If people will know, I breastfed both my babies, but at some point I had to um, go to work and I couldn't keep up and I had to pump. So, of course, there was bottles involved. And I just think, yeah, all those gizmos and gadgets, like, cool, chuck it in the dishwasher and yeah. never had a problem. And yeah. that, how much sterilizing do people do and panicking about the, you know, the um, dummies and all this oh sort of thing. Oh, my gosh. So just, yeah, that's not what's going on around in rural areas around the world. The four-minute rule with food is good. <laughs> <laughs> Some people call it the three-second rule, the 30-second rule. But if the food's on the floor and the baby eats it, great. As soon as they start discovering the world, they're slobbering over everything anyway. Yeah, and the sooner it happens in terms of getting access to these bacteria in the very, very infantile stages of their life, the quicker they'll develop an immune system that's protective against the environment. If you protect your baby from the environment, it has no protection itself. No, You've got to actually put it into the environment. And that's on a metaphorical level. With so much great information provided on each episode, we've created an easy way for you to stay up to date on keeping your family happy, healthy, and safe. For exclusive content, as well as show notes, links for everything we discuss on the episode, as well as a free newsletter to help keep you informed, 
Visit mumsthewordpodcast.com. So I just want to, just before we end up this and go into some other topics, um, I think we need to discuss a little bit about rest. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, in terms of breast quality, you know, we, we can talk about what you eat. Um, we can talk about, I guess, the fluid levels as well. But yeah. I have seen significant, the fatigue that mothers go through is, is a huge role player in, um, in, yeah, I touched in breast on milk production. Yeah, and I touched on that just briefly before, but a lot of it comes down to iron status. You know, and the iron status, which influences hemoglobin and the transport of oxygen around the body, is influenced largely in the last trimester. So much iron is lost during that time. And then in the birthing process, a lot of iron is lost. Um, and so there's a very high requirement on iron in the last trimester through, to the, through the whole breastfeeding process. Even if your iron levels are within normal levels, supplement with iron or eat iron-rich meals. If you're going to choose to be vegan or vegetarian, you're going to have to take some iron, some folinic acid, some B vitamins. You have to take, you know, B12. You have to do some stuff to protect and nourish your baby if you want the healthiest baby. It's very, very important. And, uh, and I know that's a little bit of a contentious thing to say and there'll be some people kind of squirming and thinking, oh, my gosh. But you, you, really, you have to think about this seriously. Like when I, my hair started falling out, I think about three or four months after my first, and everyone started telling me it's normal. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is normal. normal. And I did a blood analysis, and I'm someone who took a lot of supplements and, and you know, being consciously eating meat and doing all the things I could do nutritionally. And I still was low. I mean, you are growing a human being. And this they is the are sucking years. it out of you and, and yeah. you are not the priority. That's just the way that nature works, <laughs> right? right? So when that win. baby's born, you're suddenly getting super, super skinny and your baby's getting super, super fat. Like, yeah. I mean, this There's is… an energy just, transfer going on. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, my midwife had taught me that about South Africa where these mothers are like, you know, suck, sunken cheeks and, you know, fading away and the baby's plump as anything. So the yep. same is happening um, in the survival of the species while we're pregnant. You 100%. are not the pro- – so you just got to keep on feeding the good stuff in. 100%. And it's that two years prior. So it's not the it's, – it's not – you know, if you've got an accidental pregnancy, you've got an accidental pregnancy. Celebrate it because your children are amazing and all of a sudden they're 16. But the, if you've got an opportunity to plan it, Two years out is where you want to start. That's where you want to start. Not a few weeks out, not a few months out, not just, hey, let's start taking some folic acid. Well, you start reading all those uh, books about parenting and, you know, it's all conscious and you're looking at what pram you want and all this. I mean, there's nothing more important than actually creating that child. Yeah. And look, let's be real here. Girls are going to be thinking about babies long before guys are going to be thinking about babies. And so a lot of the... Um, a lot of the responsibility is going to fall on the woman's shoulder um, in the two years prior to her falling pregnant. So if, if girls are listening to this and they haven't yet had a baby or they're, you know, they're, they're not, they haven't even got a partner yet but they're wanting to have a baby at some point, two years at least is kind of what you want to give it. If you want to do the well, even for the mums that have had one and now thinking about number two. Have another two. Build yourself up. You know, it's a massive nutritional drain on the body to have a baby. You know, you built something out of what you already had and now you've got to replenish all of those supplies in your body um, to be able to go and build another one. And, you know, even after building it, you were growing it and the energy demands of, you know, waking up through the night and having to keep on going through the day and doing all the other things that you choose to, you know, do through the day, whether it be managing a household or going back to work or whatever it is, like all of those demands are on top of looking after a baby and, uh, and growing a child, so... It's all, all so incredibly important. But iron, 
that's another thing that I, I meant to say before. So you've got your zinc, your iron, vitamin C, B vitamins, um, your, your fish oils, um, or your omega-3 supplements, and, um, and of course, folinic acid. You Do know, you want to drop some names of some recommended iron? Um... You want to go for a vegan source of iron, which is really interesting, you know, um, or a vegetable source of iron. And the heme versions of iron, which is the, the animal versions, so things that have, have got... Ferrous female. I think I just spat on you. Sorry about that's that. That's all right. That's what you don't get when you do it over <laughs> the right. internet. Sorry about that, Kaz. That's all right. Just part gave of the some, experience. Just gave you some of my microbiome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the ferrous is a very challenging iron to absorb, and a lot of women are given a very cheap form of iron. I won't mention names, but ferrous fumarate is the type of iron that many women are given. It's difficult. It's constipating. It makes your, your, your stools tarry and black, and it's really challenging. Um, to, to get the most from yes it has a net effect on the on the iron levels but it's really challenging on the on the gastrointestinal system so you can get iron um, that's amino acid chelated uh, and and that means that it's the iron or the plant form of uh, non of, of iron which is called non-heme is uh, is bound to amino acids which allows absorption through the gastrointestinal tract uh, very easily and uh, and that's non-constipating and that's a really good way to go. So again, I use the ethical nutrients or the metagenics version of iron, and um, and it, it's probably the most well tolerated. And generally, an iron will be will be matched with a, a folinic acid or an activated B, and uh, and that's also going to be of, of benefit to the mum, yeah, and the baby. Awesome, mm. awesome. Mm. Well, I think I'm just thinking back now, sitting here. I think the only other dad I've had on so far on the show was Brett Hill, your really? co-host of ah, the Wellness Guys. So go. I want to move into a little. We don't have that many dads on the show and sharing their experience. Um, but in part of creating our community here, I I would really love you to share um, just with the listeners a personal time, um, probably in the parenting realm, where you where you had a bit of a struggle and. And what you did to get out of it so that people can, you know, not have to reinvent the wheel and, and learn from that. And, um, yeah, just if you could share a bit about that. Yeah, totally. So, well, this is something that not many people know, I don't think. Um, so I'll share it with you on this podcast. It's groundbreaking. Um, Jackson's mum and I separated when he was two years old. And I took custody of Jackson at that time. And I was a single dad or that period of the age of two through to three. And so as well as studying full-time chiropractic um, and, and having to work full-time as a naturopath and, um, and, and living on the wrong side of Melbourne away from my family, I raised, had to raise a child, which, as you know how difficult that is, and you've got two, um, by myself. And, and that was incredibly challenging. That's very challenging. It's, not, it's very challenging to have a marriage breakdown um, or relationship breakdown. And then it's very challenging, um, particularly as a father, to be looking after your child because the social norm is that the child goes with the mum, generally. Mm. So often people would go, well, why is Jackson with you? And you don't want to have to go into all of those details, but it's an unusual thing for um, the child to be with you. But it was one of my greatest pleasures and at the same time challenging times of my life to be having to deal with the separation and then to manage um, raising a child when, you know, and you're doing all these other things. Well, it's so, also first child. I mean, you haven't got any previous know, right? experience and you're learning and at that all these age, things. I was, I, was, I was under 30, you know. I think I was 29 when all that, you know, transpired, which is 
I was. I was. Yeah, I was. De- I was definitely under thirty. I think it's funny because so, people just ask, "How do you do it?" You know, people, "How do you do it?" Oh my god! And I used to say that as well. I take my hat off to single parents, and you know, when people have their partner go away on a work trip and they go, "Oh my god, I'm coping." How do you do it? How do you do it? And I used to say the same thing too. But I think you just do it. You, you just do. have to do it. There is no other it. option. I can recall that there was lots of times where I didn't get lots of sleep. I can recall it. I don't know how it felt. I don't remember the fatigue. Um, I recall as well that I had some incredible help from some beautiful girls who were great friends of mine who were also chiropractors. So um, Jane Spencer and Natisse Novella Nui, they were my flatmates at the time and they gave me so much support and so much help, um, which was great. And it was really difficult because my mum was on the other side of town. You know, we're in Bandura, Templestowe kind of area. And mum and dad were out in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. So dad's in Dandenong and mum's in Murrumbina and like very very difficult to kind of get them to be able to help out so through the week we relied on family daycare um, which I loved you know the whole family daycare model where you would take your child into another mother's home and while she's looking after her children she's looking after your children and uh, and it was very useful for me Um, and at the same time um, you know it would have been amazing to have had somebody at home full time but the reality for a lot of people out there and a lot of people listening to this podcast is that it's not always possible to have people at home to look after your children. It's not always possible. And you know this, Kaz, you've got to work and you've got children. Um, it's actually okay to be using um, services that are set up. And the choice of service is based on your values and what you can afford. No, it takes a and village so, to raise a child. I mean, this it, it, and this you is cannot a, do this, it on your own. And that's this whole... That's what know, I'm coming the, back to is yeah. that I created a tribe of people, a village of people around me to help me raise Jackson. And, and I've continued to do that. Jackson, um, at 16 years old, lives with me and my wife, Amber, and, uh, and he visits his mum, you know, quite a lot. Um, but since the age of eight, Jackson's come back with us, and I was in New Zealand for a number of years, and so I couldn't look after Jackson while his mum was here in Australia, so she looked after him for, you know, four or five years while I was in New Zealand. But when I came back to Australia, Jackson came back to live with me. And it, it, it is, as a dad probably the most incredible blessing to have your children live with you, um, particularly in a broken family. Um, But then what's even better is to have the blessing of the mother to allow your child to live with you. And and that takes an enormous amount of courage and an enormous amount of love from the mother. And so, you know, to Michelle, I thank her so much for, you know, loving me enough, even though we're not together, to know that I'll do a great job raising her child. And so um, Jackson's now 16. He's a great little boy. Um, young man and uh, and we've done it as a team so my wife Amber my ex-partner Michelle and I have put ourselves with incredible people to be able to raise Jackson to be a great little man today so it's not done by yourself it's done yeah. with heaps of people if you try to do it by yourself you'll get it done but you're, you're you're making it really hard on yourself yeah and I think you know the blessing in all of that is for him to have such a strong um, male role model you know like he's going to be completely amazing dad when the time comes i have no doubt whatsoever i hope so Look, you know and this is no disrespect to my dad but i've tried to do most things that my dad didn't yeah and um and i think most kids think when they're going to have children they're going to do it better than their parents um i probably couldn't do it better than my mum. my mum did an amazing job um and there's so many things that i wish my dad had have done that, that he didn't do that i'm now doing for jackson and, and there's probably a whole lot of things that jackson wishes that i would do that i haven't done um, that he will probably do with his children, um, but you just got to give it the best, the best you know shot that you can, and and do it based on the things that you know and that you've learned. Mm-hmm. Mm. So now that he's sixteen, there's a lot of 
wise parenting years behind you. Yeah. Um, and I guess if you could go back and tell yourself while Michelle was pregnant, a word of advice, you know, how this parenting journey is going to be, what would you say to yourself now? That's an amazing question. And it's one to, it's one to kind of ponder because there's so much advice, you know, this has kind of been the theme of this weekend, hasn't it? Like write a letter to yourself um, from your younger self or your older self. But if I was to tell myself anything, it would be make sure that you have lots of cuddle time because that connection you, you, you don't get if you never put time into it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, my children don't want to hug me or my children don't want to spend time with me. You know, not all children are tactile, but they will want to spend time with you. And it comes back to this, um, this beautiful commercial, this beautiful ad that uh, I think might be Campbell's Soups um, that they've got on. And there's a survey done of parents. About know, the dinner? Yeah. Yeah. Who would you like to have? And who are these adults saying, oh, I'd love to have dinner with Tiger Woods or the President of the United States of America or, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer or whoever it's going to be, right? And all these people. And then they ask the kids, who would you like to have dinner with? Oh, I just want to have dinner with mum and dad. You know, and to, and to realize the important role of the mum and the dad in the child's life, it's incredible. And you want to keep in mind the important role of the child in the mum and dad's life. And so give all that you have to your children, all that you have, because when they're 16, 17, 18, and they start to disengage from you, you can't get their younger years back. Mm. So all the time that you've got with your children when they're young is precious. And a lot of people say, oh, it goes too fast. And it does really go too fast. And you can't get it back. And you might only ever have one child. And some people might not ever have a child. So the blessing and the gift is to spend time with your children. Mm. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter which holidays you go on. It doesn't matter which toys they get. It doesn't matter whether or not they've got, you know, soy-painted Tonka trucks or whatever it is. You know, the, the key thing is to spend the time with your children. They don't care about the colors. They don't care about the anything else other than seeing their parents happy. And um, and for me, I mean, nutrition was never an issue for, for Jackson and I because we just always ate well. It's, it's never been an issue because that's just what we did. But time is the number one thing that you want to be able to you know, share with your children. Okay. And what about the best advice that you've ever received? Um, the best advice that I received um, about parenting was to to not yell at your children because yelling, yeah, it's just not to yell at your children. So I've never had to yell at Jackson. I've I've raised my voice and and I've said, Jackson. But when I do that, because it's so infrequent, it works. Yeah, uh, I think there's also a serious look that you can give as something that I, you know, when they're really little, it's like there's a a look that you have on your face that you only ever pull out in serious times. Don't lose your patience with your kids. If that look comes out, they know they've stepped the line. (laughs) That's right. You've got to guide your children, navigate them through the tough times, but you don't need to yell at your children. Like you You should speak to your children. With the same respect that you afford to the queen, or and they're the same just kids, aren't they? I think sometimes you know they're tired, they're cranky, and sometimes in these tired moments, I think, oh no, I put them through this. I tried to do that transfer from the car to the house, and it was me <laughs> who was out and wasn't there, you know. Yeah, and it's right. like they're tired because I haven't sort of created the environment. Yeah, to... if they're shitty and grumpy and all that. Well, can I swear on this? <laughs> I'm sorry. About oh yeah, that. no, people have dropped some bombs. <laughs> oh really? If they're grumpy and they're really moody, it's usually because of you. It's not because they of them. need something to eat, yeah, or... or you fed them chocolate cake. You know, you gave them something that was going to stimulate their body, and then expected them to go to sleep. 
you can't expect things to happen when you, you know, in a particular way when you don't set it up in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we finish up, I'd love you to share some resources for um, the listeners really on that, um, the nutritional topic that we've spoken about, it's, what they could be looking into further, whether it be websites, podcast episodes from the Wellness Guys, um, yeah, books, no. Yeah. The, so the single most challenging thing I think for people facing nutrition information at the moment is the internet. That's uh, incredibly challenging because so much is said on the internet that's probably not that true and is skewed in terms of a direction of a product sale. And, and that's really unfortunate because really at the end of the day, the best nutrition that we could ever get comes from food. And in terms of a resource for that, if there was a book that was written that just said, this is the food that you can eat to live a healthy life rather than being this is paleo, this mm-hmm. is vegan, this is whatever, then you know, I think that's very confusing. If you can learn to eat a Mediterranean-style diet, most people would do very, very well from that. If you can eat like the Okinawans, you know, the Okinawan way, for example, that's a, that's a really great thing. So if, you've got, if you're of Asian descent, eat like the Okinawans. If you're of um, European descent, eat like the Mediterraneans. Um, and, and I think most people kind of come you know, from those sorts of lineage if you're of African descent, then it's a very, very plant-based diet. It's plant and meat, you know. So you try to try to eat in, in a fashion that's more according to your bloodlines. And so to that end, the only book I've read in 20-something years that really makes sense around nutrition and what we could do, but it, it makes sense but doesn't have a whole lot of science behind it, is The Blood Type Diet by Peter Diodamo. That's the, that's the one book that I would send people to if they're wanting to eat it in a particular way that could support their health and well-being. It's the only one that makes sense. None of them, not, the rest like of them we're don't. not all the same, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. None, none of them, no, no other eating program makes sense to me when you have to follow something that's really extreme. So I like the blood type diet, Peter Diodamo. And he's also got a live right for your type in terms of what exercise suits you better as Move well. Move right for your type, yeah. yeah. Cook right for your type, and so there's recipe books and all that sort of stuff. So he's got all those sorts of resources, which is which is great. Um, for us, in terms of a holistic parenting guide, you can't go past well-adjusted babies. You know, Simon and Jen, or Jen, really Jen. Yeah. You know, Jen Floriani did an amazing job with that book, and uh, as a as a guide for um, holistic parenting, we use that. You know, we got given all of the books. You know, we I don't know. 50 books would have been given. You know, most women who are listening to this have been given books that they've never read. Really, the one book that we used and continue to use and the one Same. that I continue to give out Same. as a resource to pregnant mums is Well-Adjusted Babies. Um, it's the one book that, you know, I think I'll probably continue to recommend because it will continue to be revised and continue to be improved. And it's really and a Bible. And what I love about it is that, you know, it's going things, you know, the first foods, yeah. As well, so foods, you know, people when, just you know? yeah, which foods when, yeah. and people assume things like let's start the baby on banana. And what I love about Jen's book, just throughout the whole thing, and I said this, I think, on the last episode as well with Karen Tam, we also talked about the book. Is that it's so well researched? Yeah, it's not just willy nilly, you know, saying well, things. Kate was involved in that, wasn't she? Kate was also, heavily involved in that. Yeah, um, and Kate Marshall, and so she's done you know a whole lot of research to to pull this book together and. It really is a strong, incredible resource, and usually, you know, usually it's actually very difficult to find that sort of information, particularly in one book. But it's all in one book. Yeah. And and so if there's only one book that you want to read or you want to get, 
I'd get that one. Super down to earth, revised many times already. Then, yeah, and then after that, um, if you've got a boy, if you've got a if you've got a, a boy in your life, there's two books I'd recommend, and and these are the two books that I would call raising boys Bibles. So one is called Raising Boys by Steve Biddle. Um, he's an incredible guy, um, and he really showed me how I behaved as a child, and so that I could recognise that in Jackson as he behaved in the same way, so that I knew what that all meant. That was really important. Then the next one, which I think is really important for boys, and this is where society in the West fails, is that maybe not so much in Jewish culture because there's a ceremony where men graduate, where boys graduate to men. Um, I think that's called a bar mitzvah. Is yeah, that right? yeah, well done. So, but in the Catholic Church or the Christian religion, um, you've got confirmation, but it's not really that ceremonial anymore. And so what this guy, Arna Rubinstein, has done in the book called The Making of Men has described where a 14, 15-year-old boy is kind of lacking in direction. And, uh, and he explains that the, uh, the initiation process and period uh, is, is so incredibly important. And so for me, the single most important thing that I ever did with Jackson was to do a, a, almost like an initiation um, ceremony uh, with, with Jackson at the age of 14, he was. And, uh, and we did it with Anna Rubenstein after reading the book, The Making of Men. And so Steve Budoff's book and Arna Rubenstein, who's a Jewish GP, um, lives in Byron Bay. He's a really incredible man, Arna, and, uh, and, and I, I did his thing. And, and seriously, without any hesitation, I'd recommend those two books and Jen's book. Great excuse to get to Byron Bay as well. Totally right. <laughs> totally. Well, we actually we're already up... ticking over, going, okay. Well, when you know, when Char, you know, gets to that age, and it's done with a male figure. So you know, surrounding Shai with a significant male figure in his life. Um, that male figure will be the person that takes him to Anna's camp, and uh, it's kind of like a. But I can still come to Byron. You can go to Byron, but you can't go on the camp. Okay. This is, this is one of the things that boys get to reclaim as being sacred for boys. Yeah. Um, and that's been lost. You know, there's not a lot of things that are just left for boys anymore. Um, there's still a lot of things that are left only for girls. But boys, you know, really need to be able to develop an identity of manliness and manhood and uh, respect for people. Not respect for women and not respect for men, respect for people. And, uh, and I think that's a really important distinction. There should be no difference between the way in which you respect a man or a woman. It should be disrespect for people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and boys are confused with that because they're told that this has got to be the way and it's all got to be inclusive. But they didn't know that it was any different until we taught them that. So let's just teach them how to respect people. I love that. So um, how can people find out more about everything that you do, DK? <laughs> oh, look, I can tell you all the different websites. But could if you just be go another to, podcast episode. Could be. Just go to damienchristoff.com. So D-A-M-I-A-N-K-R-I-S-T-O-F.com. you probably put it in the show notes. I will. Go there. Um, you listen to the wellness guys. Jump on the wellness couch. Listen to 100 Not Out. Uh, I love doing 100 Not Out because, and that's really shaped my nutritional philosophy. And I suppose that's what I want to come back to too. So that's the longevity. That. Longevity is, you know, how are people living a long time and a well time? Um, I think it's uh, it's important to have a philosophy around your food. If you have no philosophy, that is a philosophy. So, but to establish a philosophy around food that uh, matches your values, I think is really important. And so, if your value is health, and, and that is mine, um, then that, that's got to be that's got to have some kind of bearing and influence in the things you put into your body. It doesn't mean you don't. Have coffee it doesn't mean you don't have alcohol, or does it, but it could also mean that. Um, but it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. And and I think that's 
a place to go. So anyway, DamienChristoph.com, you can go there. Um, and you'll see all my links to Forage, which is my muesli range. Uh, we've got a nut-free one coming out soon for children, which is going to be great. It's got cacao nibs and delicious. Um, and, um, and then the wellness guys and my practice Vita, which is where we've been working together for the last 12 months. And, um, and I've loved working with you, Kaz. Sad to see you going back to Amsterdam. Mm. But I'm really, really, really happy for you that you are. Um, and, and there's a blessing in it. It's, it's important to look at that. Yeah, and it's been a real blessing this year together as well. After 16 years, I needed you. Nurturing you needed me. <laughs> like it just came at the right time. It was very yeah. serendipitous. Yeah, it's yeah. been great. Well, thanks for this awesome episode. And um, yeah, it's been great getting spat on. And <laughs> <laughs> I did it once, though. Only once. No, well, I mean, it was refreshing. Maybe I did it a few more times. You know, actually, what I didn't <laughs> mention is that you smell amazing. <laughs> and you definitely don't get that in the virtual realm, you know, when you're interviewing people over the internet. But this fragrance is really good. So I'm um, sorry, guys, you don't get to hear that. Ladies, are it. Yeah. Don't get to smell it. Uh, thanks, Kaz. It's just a hunting fluid that I like to wear. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.